Scripture for the sermon is from the Epistle of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I'm reading in the International Standard Version, where Paul writes, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called, demonstrating all expressions of humility gentleness, and patience, accepting one another in love. Do your best to maintain the unity of the Spirit by means of the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Likewise, you were called to the one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Ephesians is a letter from a Christian leader in jail for his faith, written to express his concern for Christian unity. The same description applies to Martin Luther King's famous letter from a Birmingham jail. Having been invited by the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights to take part in a non-violent direct action program, and having been imprisoned for doing so, King found himself being criticized by local Christians who took exception to outsiders coming in. Besides pointing out that he had been invited in, King observed, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied with a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul likewise pleads with Christians to maintain the unity of the Spirit by the bond of peace. It was their bond of peace with God through Christ that led both Paul and King to refuse to make their peace with the unjust laws of the state. And this refusal displayed their loving concern for all people. For participating in non-violent protest, King was branded an extremist. So as though I was initially disappointed at being categorized as an extremist, as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? King concluded that the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hate, or for love. Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness.
As a Christian who has likewise gone to the extreme of being jailed for faith, Paul also calls upon Christians to go all out in love for the sake of the gospel, the hope of your calling, in order that they live in a way that is worthy of the calling to which they have been called in Christ. Pope Francis uh, recently tweeted, yes, I follow him on Twitter, that a society made up of different cultures must seek unity in respect. In other words, to create unity in the midst of diversity, there has to be something held in common, something in which people commune together and which therefore turns them into a community. Indeed, any community is the social expression of a spirituality, a spirituality that consists of shared assumptions and attitudes and activities. As Charles Colson puts it, community is a gathering around shared values. It's a commitment to one another and to common ideas and aspirations. In the church, we are committed to one another because of our commitment to common values and ideas and aspirations that flow from our common love of Jesus. Christian community is a spiritual fellowship of common interests and liabilities practiced by a body of people gathered together in the worship of Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. Hence, we're not alone. We're not alone in our efforts to become morally and intellectually virtuous persons. Our careers as moral and intellectual agents are developed in community. After all, humans are made in the image of a God who is a trinity of divine persons. Three divine persons who jointly form one divine being. God is a tri-personal mystery of love. The Trinity means that relationship is the fundamental category of existence. Relationship goes all the way up into ultimate reality, into God. God is a society, an, an I-thou relationship. God is love. Because we're made in the image of the Trinity, love and family and community and friendship, they're not peripheral, but central, not accidental, but essential to us. The communion of saints reflects the nature of God as we worship the Father through his Son in the unity of the Spirit. The Christian follows Christ into a God-like life aimed at loving community. And to love and be brought into community with the triune God entails loving those whom God loves. And that means everyone, not just other Christians. Christians love others because we love God and he loves them. Love, in this sense, is an act of will, 
patterned after the nature of God that we see in Jesus and empowered by the knowledge of God's love for us. So this love is more than an emotion. The Greek term agape implies a quota of intellect and volition as well as feeling. As Paul writes, we accept one another in love by actively, as he says, demonstrating all expressions of humility, gentleness, patience, and so on. However, this love cannot be confined within the body of Christ because it is the love of Christ who came to save sinners. The church is the community called by God to love him and to express that love in service to others. Christian community is inherently evangelical in that sense. If you love people, you will share with them the good things that you have. And the best thing that any Christian has to share is relationship with God. A relationship that isn't simply a matter of of individual salvation, but which is also a matter of being called by Christ, called to come out of the world and into Christian community. Hence, while unity with Christ entails loving community within his church, it also entails a love for those outside of the church, A love that demands enmity with the ways of this dark world. Have a look at Ephesians 2.2 or 2.12 or 6.12. Above all, writes Paul in Philippians, live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So it was his godly enmity with the world, stemming from his Christ-like love for people, that led Paul to be the prisoner of the Lord. Martin Luther King followed in Paul's footsteps, displaying this same combination of loving regard for people and loving disregard for the world. I have earnestly opposed violent tension, wrote King. But there is a type of constructive, non-violent tension which is necessary for growth. There are two types of laws, just and unjust. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. Of course, there's nothing new about this kind of civil disobedience. It was practiced superbly by the early Christians. To live in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called means following the law of love. The law of love begins with loving Christ because he loves us. 
As a consequence of loving Christ, we love our neighbour, be they Christian or not. But we oppose the world in this Pauline sense of the present sinful order of things that's characterised by discord with the will of God. Indeed, to be a Christian is to be in conflict with the world as well as the flesh and the devil. For no one can serve two masters, as we had from the Gospel reading. To love God in a way that is worthy of the calling means not only that we pursue love, but that we lovingly resist hate. Not only that we love justice, but that we lovingly resist injustice. He has shown you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, says Micah, chapter 6, 8. Of course, as Paul insists, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, 2 Corinthians. Rather, we fight in the armour of God that Paul will talk about in a couple of chapters' time in Ephesians 6. We fight in the armour of God with the spiritual weapons explained by Paul in, say, this passage from 2 Corinthians. But in everything and in every way, we show that we truly are God's servants. We have always been patient, though we have had a lot of trouble, suffering and hard times. We have been beaten, put in jail and hurt in riots. We've worked hard and have gone without sleep or food. But we have kept ourselves pure and have been understanding, patient and kind. The Holy Spirit has been with us and our love has been real. We have spoken the truth and God's power has worked in us. In all our struggles we have said and done only what is right. In other words, spiritual warfare means a whole lot of sacrificial love. As Dr. King warned from his jail cell, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. To avoid this, the church must keep our eyes fixed upon the one hope of our calling, upon our one Lord, standing firm in our joint faith, our common baptism into the life of Christ, so that love compels us to seek the glory of the one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Amen.